Thursday, May 26th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Charlie Travers, from income investor James Early, and from Motley Fool Global Gains, Tim Hansen. Guys, good to see you as always. Good to see you, Chris. Tiffany's earnings are shareholders' best friend, and being a corporate whistleblower is about to get a lot more lucrative. But we will begin today with Microsoft. Yesterday at an investment conference in New York City, hedge fund manager David Einhorn called on Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer to step down, saying, quote, his continued presence is the biggest overhang on Microsoft's stock. Charlie Travers, I will start with you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I called on Cisco Systems CEO John Chambers to step down. That, that didn't seem to get nearly the headlines that David Einhorn is getting. What, why all the headlines for Einhorn? Uh, maybe he's just better at getting the word out. Uh, apparently. You know, so in, in the uh, era of free speech and the internet, you have to uh, more than ever be uh, knowledgeable of the credibility of your source. So, you know, we get a lot of uh, unqualified people shooting off at the mouth all the time these days. Um, but Einhorn is not in that camp. You know, he's a very well-respected hedge fund manager from uh, Greenlight Capital. He wrote one of my favorite favorite investing books of all time, fooling some of the people all the time. You know, and so when he says something about either a company or management like this, and they do own 9 million shares of Microsoft, so he's not a disinterested observer. Uh, He has a lot of money on the line here. Uh, And, you know, so, yeah, I I think people listen when he talks all the time, and they should. Do you think that Bomber should step down, James? It's the same problem, Chris, with Microsoft, with Intel, with Cisco. So, so yeah, I'm going to say I think he should step down because these tech companies are stuck in the mindset of tech equals growth. And that was true in the mid-90s. But now tech is way too big of a category for tech to always equal growth. But you've got companies like Microsoft just going out there and, and pursuing these projects, chasing the, the, this this sort of – it's sort of the equivalent of, of like the, the midlife uh, a woman who's dressing a little too risque because she wants to capture her former – you know, or whatever you know, you get the idea. So <laughs> you know, they're they're doing Verve. this, and they really shouldn't be. You know, and, and and so yeah, I think I think they need to wake up, and it's okay to be a slow growing company when you're old. Well, so investors aren't that really uh, much different from sports fans, where if your team isn't doing that well, you know, the pressure cooks on the owner to fire the manager, bring in some new big dollar, big name to sell more season tickets. You know, in uh, the D.C. area, we know that works so well for the Redskins, <laughs> and you know, so. It's not really Balmer's fault. You know, if you look uh, since he took over in January of 2000, they've grown free cash flow at about 7 or 8% a year. And it's kind of like, guys, what do you expect for a mega cap kind of company? This, they're not going to do 20% a year. And if you expect that, you have unrealistic expectations. Uh, I think the bigger concern is not that they have a moderate growth rate appropriate for their size, but some of the uh, product missteps and, you know, seemingly oblivious to what the competition is doing. I was going to say, I think, I, I think Balmer uh, can be blamed for, for some of Microsoft underperformance. Notably, I, I think you pointed out the product missteps. Right. You've also got the debacle that was that was search right. um, that they had. And then obviously now with the tablet computers being all the rage, um, particularly potentially in emerging markets, you know, those Windows operating systems, both desktop and laptop computers really run the risk of getting um, lapped or getting jumped over. Right. And Microsoft has nothing there to replace it. I mean, they've, right. they've gone to that Windows well one too many times, it right. seems, over the past 10 years. And I think that does lie at the fault of management, or at least not being visionary about their business. Yeah, and you didn't even touch on what could have been the worst misstep in their history was the acquisition of Yahoo that didn't happen. Oh, yeah. Well, they made up for it by, right. buying, by buying Skype. By buying Skype. <laughs> so, so what is the big opportunity for them? What should Microsoft be pursuing? 
I, I think they are a, a distant third or fourth place in smartphones, and the transition is clearly happening from the desktop and the laptop space over to more mobile devices. And they're going all in with Nokia, and Skype is going to be a part of that platform. And with how popular is uh, Nokia around the world, uh, they have no presence in the States. Uh, but bringing Skype in, which is something they've talked about on their conference call, I can't say I know how this is going to play out. They might not know how it's going to play out, but they're taking a chance, and I would consider it a, a high-risk opportunity. Uh, but it has, you know, it could go to zero on that kind of investment, but it could be potentially massive upside. And we'll know in about 18 months what happens here. What do they get for Skype, though? Don't they already have that technology? I mean, they bought the name, I guess. And well, they, they get a, a large installed base yeah, of, of people who love the service. They're, you know, it's very highly regarded. So in thinking about Microsoft's competitors, obviously Apple uh, gets thrown out there, Google, um, potentially even even Facebook, depending on which direction Microsoft wants to go in. Um, where do you think those rank in terms of their competition? You know, who's number one on the list? Uh, I, I would say probably their you know, biggest concern is probably Google, just from the, th- you oh, know. Oh, definitely, yeah. Google. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's not just where Google is owning search, but where Google is very slowly and gradually kind of entering into Office-type applications. Um, you know, anybody who uses Google Apps, uh, the Google Docs kind of stuff, knows it's for light use and it's not ready for uh, prime time kind of heavy business usage, but five years from now, is that still the same case? And do they erode uh, Microsoft's cash cow with the office suite? Uh, that remains to be seen. Um, as far as Facebook, the two have a pretty cozy relationship. Facebook uh, data is going into the big search engine. Uh, Microsoft has a stake in Facebook. So I, I you know, would say they're going to play nicer, uh, but Google's the big threat. James, you agree with that? I agree. I mean, Apple's obviously a, a strong product threat, you know, maybe maybe growing with time, but but it's sort of like a, the known thing, whereas Google has much more potential to do something uh, that could be a game changer. Tim? I was doing a thought experiment yesterday with Google. You know, what if Google spun out all of its different businesses? It spun off YouTube. It spun off its Brazilian search engine. It spun off its um, Indian search engine. It kept its core asset. You know, it, it's got all these companies essentially tied up inside of it. And if you started adding up the sum of the parts of what these lesser companies are worth alone, you know, you look at like the Yandex Russian Google IPO that are valued at, you know, 30 some odd billion dollars. I mean, mm-hmm. that's ridiculous when Google's got those assets in it already and is not right. being treated the same way. So they just have so many revenue sources, so many irons in the fire that are doing well. It's hard not to regard them as everybody's major competitor. Tim, yeah. let me just rewind for a second. You began it by saying, I was doing a thought experiment yesterday. Oh, boy. Now, that yeah. just adds an air of formality to it. Is that something you like sit in a room, or, or how do you actually conduct the thought experiment? <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> it, involves, it involves, yeah, careful thought, uh, some soothing music, um, Chopin, jazz, something along those lines, and, 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 you know, I think I said too much. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Shares of Tiffany up big today after the company reported earnings up 26%. And the company also raised its guidance. Tim, same-store sales up 19% overall, but in the uh, Asia-Pacific region, same-store sales up 37%. That's, that seems almost, I, I don't know, that's mind-boggling to me that they would go up that much. Um, luxury consumers in Asia are doing very well, as are luxury consumers here in the States. I mean, this is a bit of a repetitive story that we've been you know, having on the show this year, which is that luxury retailers are doing great and non-luxury retailers aren't. I mean, I think you've probably heard that every third or fourth show. Um, you know, in terms of Asia, it's a massive luxury market and it's only getting bigger. And, and, and 
you know, there was a time about a year ago where I thought luxury in Asia was going to be a little bit slower to get off the ground because there are obviously there's such a wide divide between rich and poor there and that even though the, the populations are very large, um, most people are quite quite poor. But the results we're seeing this year are really are really speaking against that point of view. I mean, whether it's um, Tiffany or Coach or Swatch or any of the or, or uh, Luxottica, any of these you know, really consumer discretionary, high-end consumer companies, they're just killing it in Asia, and it's saving their results. Wait a minute, Swatch? Yeah, Swatch owns all the nice watches. Really? Yeah, it's not just... It's, it's not, not just the Swatch the, from no, when I was no, in no, high school. No, 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 <laughs> Where you had like eight up your forearm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Swatch has done a pretty savvy... It's a Swiss company. I mean, people should take a look at it. It's a little expensive, but when, when you start thinking, uh, except for Rolex, they pretty much own every other luxury watch brand. And you, and you wouldn't know it. No. And it's a fascinating business because they own all these different brands, what they do is they can limit production of any one of them and drive the price up, but, that, but therefore they have unlimited, almost unlimited pricing power across the portfolio because they own both brands. So they limit production of one, produce the other. And so instead of having you know, one brand that has 100,000 watches in it and you can sell them for X, you have 100 brands with 100 watches and all of a sudden the value of each one of those 100 watches is that much higher. It's a really interesting business. Now, we're all married. Uh and anytime you buy a gift for your wife, it, it, there's there's probably some level of risk involved. It seems like Tiffany's with the little blue box is about as you sure. It's well, it depends a, what you put in the box, though. Well, yeah, but I mean that that seems like as close <laughs> to a safe bet as possible. Um, but I, I want to go in the other direction. Is is there a gift you've purchased for your wife that just um, I don't know was sort of the the opposite of Tiffany's or just something that just just didn't go well. You know what never goes over well, even though it comes from the right place, is is and you know, my wife is a very fit woman, and oftentimes I think, you know what, new cool exercise stuff like new shoes or this new yeah. technology would, would turn out what? Mm-hmm. No, no, it's always taken the wrong way. It's always like, wow. So you think I should be exercising more? Y- you just channeled my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, James, what about you? Uh, you know, Chris, I once got my wife uh, some ice axes, crampons, and ice climbing boots, but $1,000 later, she didn't like ice climbing any better, so it was just not a successful... Uh, ice climbing? Yeah, I, I do it myself, and I was so excited that she might like it, too. Um, so you could like, rent well, the boots first? You know, it's really hard to rent them, actually, That's kind of, especially around this area. It's just it's it. kind of tough. So, I'm just going to so, say, we, I mean, it's it's 90 degrees outside. Where are you going ice climbing? I, not in the middle it? of summer or, or well, in, no, in the winter, but, though. Yeah, but around here. you can. We also go to, to Quebec, uh, New Hampshire, pretty much once a year. Charlie, any memorable gifts for your lovely wife? Oh, sure. Uh, you know, I, as a former hockey player, I used to do quite a bit of rollerblading around, you know, trails on uh, city parks. And Brandy was like, oh, I did a lot of roller skating when I was a kid. Get me a pair and I'll join you. And let's just say uh, Brandy rollerblading around hilly trails is not a recipe <laughs> for success. <laughs> so those were quickly sold. Was, yeah, was, <laughs> yes, it's my fault. Yeah. Was there a hospital visit involved? No, no, not that bad. All right. And finally, if you've spotted some corporate fraud taking place, you could be in line to make some big bucks. The SEC has adopted a new whistleblower plan that would pay tipsters up to 30% of the money the SEC recoups. James Early, the SEC vote on this was three to two. So I'll start with this. How would you have voted? I would vote in favor of this, yeah. I mean, the SEC's record of of just... Being the SEC has been pretty <laughs> pathetic over the past 10 years or so. I mean, it, it is admittedly hard to prosecute uh, securities crimes. It's, it's, you know, they're typically smart criminals. It's very hard to, to kind of connect the dots. But, yeah, they need all the help they can get. I mean, yeah, they should outsource the sourcing like they're doing now. They should also outsource the investigation. They should outsource as much as they can, and, and maybe this will get more stuff done. 
Let me give you uh, just a few of the names of the companies that lined up against this plan. AT&T, Google, FedEx, Verizon, Target, uh, the list goes on. Uh, what do you, they have to hide? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Obviously, they're not coming out and saying, hey, we've got stuff to hide, so vote against this. But, you know, you've got a lot of companies out there that are saying, actually, this is this is something that should be handled internally. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this incentivizes people to not try and fix things internally and, and go outside the system. It is ridiculous. If you have a problem with the mafia, do you take it up with the mafia's internal compliance department? <laughs> I mean, you don't go to the, to the offender to, to resolve the complaint. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little facetious because obviously the, this is presumably just small factions of companies that are doing things wrong and there are very good internal compliance departments. But it's, it's a lot more awkward when you, when you go internally. I think, I think they shouldn't have to do that. So you weren't just comparing Verizon to the Mafia. Not not directly, no. <laughs> yeah. no. Um, any worry that the SEC, which is historically uh, an agency that um, is strapped when it comes to resources, uh, that they're just going to get overwhelmed with calls and emails and that sort of thing. Well, this only applies to this. You can get up to thirty percent of the winnings. Or no, wait, 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 I'm of the winnings. lottery analogy, <laughs> subconsciously, uh, for uh, uh, you know amounts over a million dollars. So you can't be a professional nickel and dimer. You know, ten thousand here, fifteen thousand there. It has to be some sort of a big deal. So I think that's going to help. What do you think? You th- I mean, do you think people do this on principle, or do you think that? People are going to start doing the math and saying, well, what's my potential payout here? Tim, what do you think? It's an interesting question. I mean, it it takes a special kind of person to be a whistleblower because it's obviously it takes a lot of courage to go out and and, and do something. I guess by providing a monetary and potentially very sizable monetary incentive along with it, they're hoping that, you know, more people will will become that type of person. I I don't know. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm sort of torn on this on this rule. Obviously, I think. In a perfect world, you wouldn't you wouldn't need it, but it, we've certainly learned this is not a perfect world. Um, you know, I, I do suspect they'll probably get more uh, cases brought to their attention as a result of this. But the fear of when you increase volume is that you decrease effectiveness, and so the you know the really huge meaningful frauds that a, a tried and true conscientious whistleblower might bring out um, won't get the same attention from the investigative arm that that they would have had that. Gone, gone forward in an environment. They already where, missed Madoff, though. Well, that's true. Well, that, that doesn't that say speak for yeah. After being warned several times. All right, let me put yeah. this in real dollars. We had the uh, SEC fine of five hundred fifty million dollars uh, against Goldman Sachs. So if you're a Goldman Sachs executive and you have access to Doc Brown's DeLorean, you can hop in the time machine. You're looking at anywhere from fifty five to $165 million as your payout. Now, wasn't that was for the Abacus stuff, right? That Goldman Sachs fine? I, I think so. I'm not sure. I mean, that's one of those things. That's I, it would be hard to have been a whistleblower in real time because I honestly don't think they thought they were doing anything right, wrong. Probably not. Yeah. You know, the whistleblower wouldn't have, wouldn't have really notice because yeah. I think they were all just caught up until things went bad with it. It was just like, oh, this is a pretty smart deal by us. But come on, fifty-five million as a as a as a floor. You, that's got your attention. Oh, I mean, I think you make the move if you know you're going to be <laughs> successful. But the, I think the risk is if you if you lose. Charlie, right? what's your yeah. price? Uh, well, I would say you're in the ballpark. Fifty-five million. <laughs> oh, you'd do it for so much less. Yeah, Forty actually. million is pushing it. You, you could chop a few zeros off. <laughs> I was going to say a ham sandwich and, and fifty bucks, and, yeah. and you're in. You pay well, Charlie's bar tab on Friday. And he's yeah, he's let, ready to. Let me adjust the question <laughs> a little bit. Uh, at what price do people start co-conspiring? You know, it's like, hey, you commit fraud, I'm going to blow the whistle on you, and we'll yeah. split the proceeds. You'll do five years, then we'll get out. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, for fifty or a hundred million dollars, that's not completely unreasonable. Not? Char- Charlie seems to have put a lot of thought into this. I- I've seen a lot of movies, Charlie, Chris. Yeah. 
We're all putting a lot of thought into this. <laughs> Tim Hansen, James Early, Charlie Travers. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you, Chris. You, Chris. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Be sure to check out Motley Fool Money this weekend. Our guest is Nell Minow. We'll talk movie business and get a summer preview. Motley Fool Money on iTunes, online, and on radio stations across America. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. So how does this work again, Charlie? <laughs> let, me, let me slide this piece of paper across the table. <laughs>